Greetings, patriots, friends, sweet brethren of the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Today, I want to talk to you about times of refreshing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us an advocate, that we can come to you and confess our sins and know that when we do confess our sins, you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, that we can come to you. We can boldly come to the throne and receive help in the time of need. So thank you, Lord, that you have made a way. When you died on that cross, you made a way. You opened the way to us to have 24-7 access to you. What a great gift you have given us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you about times of refreshing. Lent is the beautiful time, the 40 days before we celebrate the resurrection of the Holy Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah. This special season is devoted to fasting, abstinence, and repentance in commemoration of Christ's fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. I learned something I never knew before. As you know, I grew up Eastern Orthodox. We were faithful to church. And from as early as I can remember, um, I remember Lent. I remember uh, having fasting and confession. So I was familiar with Lent all these years, and I just assumed every Christian observed Lent, only to find out that Lent is only observed by Anglicans, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, and Methodists. Whole swaths of Protestants do not observe Lent. Baptists, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, and Latter-day Saints don't. So what do I think about Lent? I have no issues with Lent, in fact. I think it is good to have a time of preparation for our soul and spirit prior to Resurrection Sunday. I do not believe that going through the motions of, well, let's say, giving up chocolate or giving up watching movies really does much to prepare us spiritually. I know people that have given up watching any media, whether TV or iPhone. Now, that's not a bad idea. In fact, giving up certain foods isn't a bad idea. But... For the most part, people are doing this as a means of securing some kind of good marks in heaven. I believe what is missing in all of this is setting aside times for prayer and repentance. You see, giving up chocolate or potato chips or media doesn't bring me one inch closer to God. If I'm fasting chocolate combined with prayer because I see the need to fast something that brings great 
pleasure to my flesh because I ultimately want to draw closer to God, then I probably have the right motive. Now, as I see it, it all boils down to one thing, motive. What is my motivation for giving up something, food, news, whatever, anything? What is my motivation? Is it because that's what I'm supposed to do because I was taught to do it and have always done it this way? Or is there something deeper? Is my motivation to draw closer to God? How is the best way to achieve that? Let's look at fasting. Fasting, biblical fasting, is abstinence of food. Let me be clear. Fasting television, movies, sweets, etc. is not, is not biblical fasting. When Moses fasted for 40 days, he took in no water or food. We know that Jesus fasted in the wilderness. No food or water. And you say, well, those, those were extreme people. Okay. The fast called by Nineveh's king in the book of Jonah was an astonishing display of authentic repentance. An entire nation humbled itself before God. Every man, woman, child, and animal was forbidden to eat or drink. And everyone was encouraged to turn from evil and violence. This was a true expression of heartfelt transformation. We know the story of how Jonah was called by God to preach to Nineveh, but he had absolutely no compassion for Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the most vicious warriors on the planet and, of course, great enemies of Israel. They were a great menace to Israel. We don't know exactly why Jonah ran away from God, ran away from God's directions to him, but it seems he may have felt they were not deserving of redemption. Of course, after Jonah's experience in the belly of the great fish, when the Lord said a second time to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message I tell you. Jonah responded. He arose and went to Nineveh. And here's what happened. Let me share this with you out of the book of Jonah. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. So this is the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And the word of the Lord says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, 
and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the degree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Well, I think it's interesting that even the animals were covered with sackcloth. Um, and, I, you know... Uh, not feeding the animals or allowing them to drink. Boy, uh, I feel like these people were extremely serious about what they had desired to do. It was a very serious commitment they made. I mean, they went to an extreme. And that's, that's a great picture of, of um, what would, we would call a corporate fast. We saw when I talked about Esther and the Feast of Purim, we saw that all the Jews went on a three-day fast. No food, no water. And what was the result? God saved the Jewish nation. So we can see just from these two examples that fasting is a powerful spiritual tool in our arsenal. Jesus showed us through his 40 days of fasting how powerful that tool was. It was so powerful, he was able to withstand every trick and means of deceit that Satan was working against him. Jesus is always our model. So if that works for Jesus, it works for us. I know of people who have done 40-day fasts with just water. And I certainly wouldn't recommend people doing a fast without water. And the results of these 40-day fasts were nothing shy of miraculous. So there is power, spiritual power, in fasting. And it is, it is probably the most powerful spiritual tool we have. You see, fasting increases our spiritual sensitivity to the Lord. We, we 
actually can hear the Lord much clearer. In other words, what fasting helps to do, it clears the static. It removes all the static. And it allows our spiritual ears to hear the Lord's voice much, much clearer. Our prayers are more in tune with God's heart. Fasting has a way of humbling us because you become totally dependent on God in a much, much deeper way. Fasting and prayer are disciplines that are part of our everyday lives if, if we desire to have a rich and deep relationship with the Lord. Now, we don't have to wait until Lent to do that for sure. But life has a way of drawing us back into worldly things. Oh, does it. And life happens. We all know that we encounter circumstances sometimes that are so overwhelming that it just pulls us out of the spiritual realm right into the natural and we feel stuck there. So Lent is a good time to refresh and renew our walk with God. I know um, through some Methodist friends that I have that they do uh, what they call the Emmaus Walk. And other people were invited. I don't think you have to be Methodist to do the Emmaus Walk. And I've heard it's, it's a wonderful spiritual experience. So if you know someone that's Methodist and um, they can help you access doing an Emmaus Walk, I would, I would encourage it. I am encouraging anything that can bring us closer to our walk with the Lord. During this time of renewing our commitment to God, during this time right now that we're calling Lent, 40 days, repentance seems to strengthen our bonds with God. Because without repentance, we sever our relationship with God. It's important for us to keep our dialogue open with God. We talk to him as our father and as our friend. We want our hearts to always remain pure. Therefore, when sin finds its way into our heart, confession is necessary. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm encouraging you over these next two weeks to take a deep look inside your heart. Are the people in your life, are there people in your life that have hurt or wounded you with their words or actions that you haven't forgiven? Your spouse, your sibling, your children, your neighbor, your co-worker, your boss, perhaps a deceased relative that you've harbored anger and 
have been have had resentful feelings towards for many years. Some of you within the sound of my voice haven't spoken to your sibling in years over an issue relating to inheritances of whether that be property, money, valuables. It's time to let that all go. And yes, if you're still harboring feelings toward a deceased person, whether they be a relative, a friend, whatever, yes, you must ask forgiveness for that because you're still harboring the unforgiveness, whether they're deceased or alive, doesn't matter. So it's time, it's time, folks. It's time to let it all go. Bring it to the Lord. He understands your pain and hurt. Turn it over to him. Ask him to give you grace to forgive that person or persons. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you will continue to work with the Lord, he'll work with you. You simply cannot afford to hold these feelings of offense any longer. You know why? Because your physical health depends on it, your emotional health depends on it, and your spiritual health depends on it. When we repent of our sins and unforgiveness, the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and I'm reading this out of the Amplified Version of the Bible, it reads this. It says, So repent, change your mind and purpose, turn around and return to God, that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean that times of refreshing, of recovering from the effects of heat, of reviving with fresh air, may come from the presence of the Lord. And that's what we want. We want those times of refreshing to come. And boy, they do come when we repent. When we repent and confess our sin, it, it's it's. It's like having a ton of bricks lifted off of us. The weight of sin is heavy. It's very liberating. True freedom comes when you understand you do not have to carry someone else's sin inside of you. God will be their judge. Your job is to release them and get back before God Get your heart right with God and keep moving forward. Reverend Henry Wright says, When you forgive others, you are not letting them off the hook, but giving them to God. Still wiggling on the hook, but you are now off the hook. Remember that sin separates us from God, his word and his love, but confession reunites us with our Father, and that is what brings the refreshing. To be able to come to the place of realizing and recognizing our sin, that requires responsibility on our part to repent. But humility 
is necessary to see that we need to be one with our Father. David Jones, who wrote the book Humble is the Way, writes this. He says, never allow the devil to deceive you into becoming hard-hearted, self-willed, and unthankful. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, that he may exalt you in due time. I want to conclude this message with a story about a man named Daniel Defoe. You know him best as the author of Robinson Crusoe. Widely, widely regarded as the founder of the English novel, Daniel Defoe, born 1660, died 1731, was a man of many professions, merchant, writer, journalist, spy, whose energy and inventiveness led to disaster as often as they led to success. But no matter what calamities he faced, financial crises, political imprisonment, business failures due to his own unscrupulous dealings, he seemed always to have found a way to reconcile his shortcomings with his genuine Christian piety. Perhaps, like the prophet Jonah, or like Defoe's own hero in his novel Robinson Crusoe, he found his way to redemption through the arduous yet liberating act of repentance. The story of Robinson Crusoe begins with the protagonist defying his father's advice to pursue a modest lifestyle, choosing instead to set sail from his native England in search of extravagant fortune. Though he meets opportunities along the way to settle down and lead the sort of life advocated by his parents and by his own common sense, Crusoe, still unsatisfied, takes to the sea again, to his ultimate regret. His next ocean voyage is cut short when Crusoe is shipwrecked, and the lone survivor on a remote island, he names the Island of Despair. It is on this desolate place, however, that Crusoe experiences a profound spiritual awakening. Begun while reading a Bible, he retrieves from the wreck. Never have given, given any serious thought to religion, he casually flips open the Bible, only to find that his eyes immediately fall upon the scripture he needs most in that moment. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15 in the King James Version. It is from this verse that Crusoe learns to pray. Henceforward, the unfortunate castaway spends time daily reading the scriptures, entertaining, entering into a fellowship with God that teaches him how fortunate he actually is. He perceives that God has arranged his life's calamitous events in order to lead him to repentance and rescue. Crusoe is a Jonah. He fled from God but could not escape him. Over the course of his stay on the island, Crusoe undergoes the full process of repentance First, he becomes despondent over the wickedness of his past life. Filled with remorse and begging God for forgiveness, he opens his Bible to Acts 5.31, which describes Christ's power to bring a sinner to repentance and pardon his misdeeds. And now I changed both my sorrows and my joys, my very desires altered, 
my affections changed their gusts, and my delights were perfectly new from what they were, Crusoe relates. Having found the repentance and forgiveness he needs, Crusoe learns that not only has his past been wiped clean, but his present character has also undergone a reformation. Although Crusoe's captivity on the island is not over, he realizes that his new perspective has made his situation more bearable. Now that he has a true sense of things, he has found deliverance from sin a much greater blessing than deliverance from affliction. Eventually, Crusoe is rescued from the island, and although Robinson Crusoe can be read simply as a tale of adventure and survival, it is impossible to escape the book's theme of divine providence and human redemption. Like Crusoe, his creator Defoe, or the prophet Jonah, we may find ourselves in the exact places or situations we most want to avoid. But when we stop running, choose to let go of our pride and accept that God is in control, we will be amazed by the power of his grace. And so I'd like you to enjoy listening to Alan Jackson sing Amazing Grace.
His grace is amazing. Well, this is Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. Uh, you can go to www. and listen to this podcast again at pureheart. Today, I really, really, I'm, I'm really asking. I hope, I hope you're out there praying for this ministry because we certainly need your prayers. And I really, really would appreciate your financial help in. Uh, helping this ministry and you can write me at pure heart ministries p.o box 85 valley grove west virginia 26060 we're a 501c3 and you can receive a tax credit for that so um, i look forward to being with you again next week shalom shalom peace be unto you <music>